0: You're
1: listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989.
0: All righty. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kenny Izuchuku, and I'm so excited to be here. Uh, the campus ministry is back. Good to see Pepper UCLA and... Um, LA, okay, switch, and all the other adjoining schools, thank you guys for coming. I'm excited to um, continue our series today on Gifted. Before I do that, i got a couple of just quick announcements, I just want to share some things. Number one, Emma and Zach Motovu are here. Can you guys stand up? Obviously, Emma's been a part of our ministry for years, and she recently got married, and um, I'm guessing you guys are here to take your step and go, right? So thank you, Zach, for stealing I mean marrying her and loving her. We really appreciate you so much. Next, um, another announcement. We've got a student here visiting from New Haven, Connecticut, and uh I know he probably doesn't want me to announce him, but he's about to he's gonna move into our Yopro ministry. He's just in his final year at uh, this university called Yale or something like that. His name is Shayon. Can you stand up, Shayon? It's right there. He'll be moving in in the summer, and he'll be working for Google. So we are welcomed him. We had a YoPro event last time, and we were able to um, just hang out and play some games. And we, init- we properly initiated him with the game Settlers of Catan. He did not win. But now he knows that our YoPro Ministry loves games, and I'm looking forward to beating, I mean, playing with you more often, Shayom. And my last quick announcement here is we have a baptism today. So, uh, I I don't know if Nathan's here. Nathan, if you're not. Oh, okay, you gonna stand up, Nathan? That's right, if you didn't see him, you can look on the screen, there's Nathan. Good job, Nathan. You, pa- you passed your first test to be at service the day of your baptism. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that has not happened. But it's good to have these uh, amazing, amazing things happening in the church. Another amazing thing that happened is yesterday, like Patricia alluded to, we had the Hope Day of Service. And here's some uh, just some pictures that I took being there. And it was so cool to be able to serve in this way. I want to give a, a huge thanks to, to Billy Nguyen, uh, to Steve and Carrie. Oh my gosh, they did so much work. And all the group leaders, Justin, and all the group leaders that really, really helped make this awesome. It was a great, great event. And uh, I know Carrie sent me a video of the teacher's lounge, and I'm not sure if it's going to be in the video later, but man, it looked beautified. It was incredible. So thank you guys for rolling up your sleeves and really getting to work. It's amazing what we can do in our communities. Oh, I forgot about this photo. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So I think this time serving M.O.K. was really, um, it exemplified this passage here. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. Each of you should use... Whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We're continuing our series on gifted today. And in this series, the goal is to help you identify, cultivate and unleash the gifts that God has given you. Because I believe that you I believe that you are a gift from God. And if God has gifted you, then he wants you to use your gifts to gift to others. Use your skills, your talents, your abilities, your good looks, your voice. Whatever God has given you, He he wants you to use your gifts to gift. To others. You are gifted. A few scriptures I read this week to help me get energized for this series. Because I preached last week and I'm like, I'm done. And then they're like, I want you to preach again. I'm like, fine, I'll do it again. So I had to get energized. A few scriptures. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not? In other words, God gave you it. Why do you act like He did it? That fires me up. It reminds me that God has gifted us. James 1 verse 16 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect, say it with me, gift, gift is from above. Coming down from the Father, He's given you your gifts. That is the main point of this series. Everything I am going to say is just add-on. You know the main point here. God has gifted you to be a gift to others. So we will get down to the nitty-gritty. We're going to get specific with the types of gifts, unique gifts, skills, talents, and abilities that God has gifted you. But last week, I started with some gifts. That maybe you didn't identify as gifts. Some gifts that God has given us and maybe we can overlook. But these gifts are the fuel to help us unleash our unique talents and abilities. I talked about the gift of guilt. The idea that God has given each and every one of you this idea of knowing right from wrong. So when you do something that goes against his commands, you feel guilty. And that's okay. It's okay to feel that. Because once you do, it transforms you. And then it allows you to receive another gift. And that gift was the gift of grace. Again, transformative, life-changing love from God. Telling you that no matter what you do, no matter how far you stray, if you're willing to acknowledge your sin... You can receive grace, and you can move forward. It can transform you into an incredible man or woman of God. Today, in honor of Martin Luther King, Jr., I've decided to title my sermon, The Gift of Love. The Gift of Love. Before we begin, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are so good. We need you. Please, as I speak today, I pray I can speak words that you want me to say. I don't know everything that I'm going to say, Lord, but I want you to speak through me. I pray that people here who've come in and who've already tuned out, who are already bored maybe, who already feel frustrated that they're at church, I pray that they can hear something that you tell them today. It could be anything. I pray that we leave Remembering that you've gifted us life, and I hope we don't waste it. I love you, and I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. This is a picture of me in high school. I was in 11th or 12th grade, I'm pretty sure it was 11th grade. These are some of my friends, and we took this class in high school called APUS History. Has anyone taken that before? APUS History. And I remember being in that class, and we spent a lot of time learning about the Civil Rights Movement. Keep in mind that from very young to that point, I've learned about Martin Luther King. I've heard about Civil Rights. i heard about slavery. We've learned all that stuff. In the U.S. culture, we have to learn that. But there is something about this class that changed my perspective. I not only saw it as a history lesson, I started seeing it as something that affects me. I started to personalize it. I remember being in class, reading these books. I've never studied harder for any class in my life than AP U.S. History. I guarantee it. And I remember sitting there thinking like, Whoa, this is so fascinating. People actually experience this. Well, they can look at you and say, No, son, you're not good enough. No, you're not like me. And that was a thing. That's still a thing. So I personalized. I remember countless times going home, crying over the material. Like, what? That's why I was inspired to study. It was so fascinating. I couldn't believe human beings could treat each other so poorly. Dr. King was one of the greatest leaders of this civil rights movement. Not the only one, but a great, great leader. And he wasn't perfect, but he was gifted by God. Fast forward to 2020, 2019, 2017. I'm in grad school, and I'm taking this class. I'm taking this Hebrew class. And in Hebrew, we're learning the language for the first time. It's a Hebrew language class. And, and I was studying some flashcards. And then I noticed one of the words. It was spelled melek, which is the M in Hebrew. Lamed, which is the L equivalent to English, Hebrew. And kaf, which is the K in Hebrew. And I said, M-L-K. Okay, what does this mean? And guess what that word means? King in Hebrew. And all those feelings from 11th grade came, hit me right in that moment. I couldn't believe it. The Hebrew word for king is MLK. Someone just got it right now. Isn't that mind blowing? And I started thinking, like, what in the name of God is going on? Why is this something that keeps recurring to me over and over again? Because Martin Luther King was a great man. But you know what made him great? It wasn't his incredible sermons. It wasn't his incredible ability to captivate and galvanize people. He was centered on God. Read this quote. Before I was a civil rights leader, I was a preacher of the gospel. This is my first calling, and it still remains my greatest commitment. You know, actually, all that I do in civil rights, I do because I consider it a part of my ministry. Do you see your jobs that way? Do you see your careers that way? Let's keep going. I have no other ambitions in life but to achieve excellence excellence in the Christian ministry. I don't plan to run for any political office. I don't plan to do anything but remain a preacher. MLK had the capacity to always see the big picture. And he made sure nothing would take his heart and mind away from the big picture. We, me, us, on the other hand, we lose sight of the big picture very quickly. Don't we? Can I get an amen to that? Doesn't that happen all the time? And you know what a good example of this would be? I was talking to a friend. I called him. I'm not going to name him because he's going to be embarrassed. But I was talking to him about his... his, He just got married recently. And he would tell me about all these intense fights he'd have with his wife. So I'm like, please, walk me through this. So he said, there's times we're shouting things like, I hate you. We're going to get a divorce. And then he said, a day later, like, I love you. I want to give everything to you. And I'm thinking, how do you go? Those are two polar opposites. The idea that when the moment came, and this is what he told me, he says, when the moment comes, we have good intentions. We have good hearts. But when the moment comes to actually stick it out, we falter. He said, when the moment comes, he's like, I do it all the time. When the moment comes, I fall short. I need God. Romantic, familiar relationships, we have good intentions, but we often falter. One book that I've read that gives me inspiration is called A Gift of Love. I read it all the time. It's actually how I came up with the title today. Nothing profound. I was just reading it. I am like, oh, we're doing a series on gifted. The title is Gift of Love. Maybe I should use this title. And that's how it happened. Dr. King talks a lot about loving your enemies. One of his greatest sermons. Loving your enemies. And he this is one of the scriptures he bases out of. He says this. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father In heaven, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? And what's fascinating about this passage is Jesus mentions two of the most hated people in that time. Tax collectors and pagans. Tax collectors would jip you of your money. Kind of like the IRS, but they don't, they're better. For most people. Pagans are those who just find divine things to believe in. Anything but God. Of the ocean, I believe in the ocean. Animals, I believe in animals. That's what pagans do. So these are the people that were de- despised by Jewish culture. They hated them. And Jesus brings them up, I think, to intentionally cause a stir in their hearts. It would be like maybe back in the 60s when someone said, Hey, this black guy, he can, he can do what you do, white person. I felt that. He brings it up. He wants his audience to understand that visceral response. And he says, love that person. Love that person. Treat them with respect. It's amazing. Every time I walk in the church, I always observe. I look around. Many times we go and we just greet our own people. People you feel safe with, people you feel comfortable with. There's so many people here that are sitting here and never talk to any Christians. We just let them walk by. Because we got to greet our own people, right? Campus, you got to greet the campus people. Yopro is going to greet the Yopro. Singles, marriage. We flock to our own people so often. We miss out on loving those who are different than us. You know what Nietzsche said? He's this famous philosopher who embraced the hermeneutics of suspicion. He said that Jesus... (laughs) This is so crazy. He called Jesus and those who followed this exhortation to love their enemies. He said those who do that are designed weak and cowardly. It's not for the strong and courageous. He said Jesus was an impractical idealist. You can't love your enemies. Dr. King says that there's no admonition of Jesus more difficult to follow than this command to love our enemies. It blew me away. I was I went on a prayer walk and I was thinking, wow, do I really believe that loving others is practical? Loving the people I don't like is practical. And the crazy thing about this philosopher, Nietzsche, is that I believe and I think Maybe you would never say this publicly. Maybe it's secretly in your hearts. I think we kind of see Jesus as impractical sometimes. Like the things that he actually says that we're supposed to do. We see it, we read it, and we're like, nah, I can't really forgive that person. I can't really do that. I love you, bro, but I can't forgive you. I think you're awesome, sis, but I'll never forget what you did to me. And I don't blame you completely. I don't blame, I don't blame us completely because we get a lot of help from society. Our culture induces us to hate and to not define love appropriately. Here's some examples. Worldly love. Believe in yourself. You guys heard that before? You do. You believe in yourself. Christ and His love says, "Believe in Me." Worldly love says, "Follow your heart." Whatever your heart says, it's got to be the right thing, because every time we fall in our heart, hasn't everything always worked out? That's sarcasm if you didn't pick up on that. Christ in his love says, follow me. Worley love says, find yourself. Ooh, this is a good one. She needs, needs to explore a little bit, and she'll find herself eventually. Christ, in his love, says to deny yourself. Whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves. You were dead, but you were made alive again. You were lost, but now you are what? Found. What is this worldly love? What are we following? What are we listening to? What are we liking and swiping and liking again? worldly love does not tell us to love our enemies but rather encourages us to shame them whether in public or in private our culture conflates love with selfishness rather than with sacrifice it's destroying the church so the gift of love becomes obsolete this strong sacrificial Agape love becomes irrelevant inside and outside the church because we don't think it's possible to achieve. In this picture, this is Martin Luther King and the hotel that he was staying at, the hotel which he was assassinated on. I'm sure many of you guys have seen this picture. He's sitting with other civil rights leaders Leaders Hosea Williams, Jesse Jackson, Ralph Abernathy, on the balcony in 1968. He believed it was possible for us to love the way God loved. He believed it so much that he died for it. Does that sound like anyone you know? Does that sound familiar? This story of sacrifice and giving ourselves up for others. Dr. King saw love. Real love as a gift, as a sacrifice, not an entitlement, not as self-serving, not as easy. He realized that every sincere display of love grows out of a constant and a complete surrender to God. You know what's funny about being a minister? Funny thing. When I meet people, I always ask, hey, what do you do? Oh, I work for Google, I do that. What do you do? What do you do? And I always ask first because I like, you know, I like to give. I like to help, you know, try to connect with people and not feel so selfish about me. I'm like, hey, what do you do? It, it's always funny because eventually you get to a point where they ask, hey, what do you do? And as soon as I say I'm a minister, you should see the reactions people give me. You should, you should see it. It's incredible. And many of you guys are thinking like, oh, you know, maybe not. You should see it. Do you know what it's like to know and feel that people do not like you or what you stand for? With a title? Just with the title. Do you know what that feels like? But you still choose to love them regardless? I was on a plane fight. This is one of my favorite favorite experiences. When I was on a plane fight and I sat next to someone, I was in the middle seat, which is just wrong, but I sat next to someone... <laughs> who's in the aisle, and in the aisle seat, there's this girl, and she had a mask on, we're in the plane, I'm like, oh, I really don't want to talk to her, but I know I should, I should love, send the gift of love, so we start talking, and I'm like, so what do you do, and she starts telling me how she's like, leads in this club, and she's basically like a pro-abortionist, and she goes down the list of why it's good, why it's important, and I'm listening, asking follow-up questions like I do, and if you meet me, I'm usually like this, I'm just asking questions. Just like this. And then she starts talking. She's so excited to share with me. And I even mentioned a movie I watched about this 14-year-old this that had an abortion. And I'm like, wow, it was so fascinating. I don't share any of my opinions or thoughts. It's a touchy subject, right? And then she asked me the question, hey, what do you do? And I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> I said that in my head. I didn't actually, I was just like this. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. But in my head, I'm like, she's going to hate me now. I told her I'm a minister. And there's awkward silence. For fifteen seconds. I counted. <laughs> you know, you're sitting next to someone, I looked away and I'm like, oh I'm a minister, and I'm like You know, just that awkward silence. And you know what? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? This isn't crazy. I'm not I'm not speaking something that you don't you aren't familiar with. What was crazy about this interaction is that she was probably thinking that I was judging her. I know that. I I get the weight of clergymen. I I get that. She was probably thinking, this guy's judging me. He's looking down on me. He's, He's judging me. And you know what? I was judging her. But I was judging how I could adapt myself to make her feel like I loved her. I was judging whether or not if I say this or that, maybe that might make her feel uncomfortable. Maybe I should shift my words so that she would know that I love her regardless. I was judging her because I wanted her to know that God's gift of love was available to anyone. Yes, I was judging. And she was judging me too. We all judge people. Let's stop this facade. We're making judgments all the time. I was judging so that she would know I don't condemn her for what she believes. Yes! I wanted her to understand that God's love, his undeserved love, was available no matter what. She had to choose him, though. And what was incredible about this interaction is that we kept talking. We got over the 15 seconds of awkward silence. And we kept talking the whole plane ride. And she started asking me questions to understand my perspective. What I believe, why I believe, why I chose to be a minister, why I shifted careers. And then eventually, we left the plane. I get a text from, uh, Gabby Simmons, who used to go to Paparazzi. She was a student when I was a student. And Gabby's like, hey, did you meet someone on this plane ride? And I was like, are you stalking me? <laughs> that was my joke to Gabby. We're friends. I could say stuff like that without being weird. And she's like, no. M- This girl that I went to college with said she had a great interaction with this guy, you. And she just, she went on Facebook, and this is what happened. Basically on Facebook, we had one mutual friend, it was Gabby Simmons. The girl went on Facebook, added me as a friend, she saw that Gabby was my mutual friend. And Gabby said, yeah, I've been reaching out to her for years. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Brothers and sisters, the gift of love is so powerful. When we, when we go out of ourselves to talk to the other, to connect with other people, people that may disagree with us, people that might not like us, people that are controversial views in this world, you never know what God can do with that. Church, we must continue to mature in how we discern The difference between Christ's love and the love of the world. Make no mistake, the gift of love from the world is so insignificant compared to the gift of love from the Lord. And I would argue it is no gift at all. Have you accepted the gift of love? Have you accepted the gift of love from Jesus? Or are you still accepting the cheap gift of love from the world? What are you accepting right now? What are you accepting? What's more important to you? I have a quote from Dr. King. And then we'll transition. As Christians, we must never surrender our supreme loyalty to any time-bound idea or any earth-bound idea. For at the heart of our universe is a higher reality. God, and his kingdom of love. This command not to conform to this world comes not only from Paul, but also from our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. If the church of Jesus Christ is to regain once more its power, message, and authentic ring, it must conform only to the mans of the gospel. The gift of love Godly, sacrificial, agape love is one of the greatest gifts that we must give to others. And we have a family today that's going to share personally about their lives and how this gift of love has transformed themselves. So let's give it up for the Jackson family.
1: Kenny. Such a special opportunity for us to be able to speak to you this morning. We appreciate it. Um, We're so grateful and thankful that on this past December 22nd that our son Alonzo was baptized and declared that uh, Jesus, (laughs) thank you, that Jesus is the Lord of his life. It's been a journey. And my wife, Patrice, is going to take a few moments uh, to talk to you about some of the stops we made along that journey. Patrice. Go, Patrice. Sorry,
2: I'm a lot shorter. Can you help pull it down a little bit? There we go. Okay. Good morning. I'm Patrice Jackson. Um, I'll try to keep it as brief as I possibly can. David and I met around 1987 in Compton, California. <laughs> we did not get married until March 2003. Talk about a long courtship, okay? I was 38 and a half and David was 43. I married him the day after his birthday just to make sure that he would not forget our anniversary. Yes, that was intentional. We were not a young couple. We were married in March, and by June, I found out that I was pregnant. So God and David were working really fast. I would have a baby that biologically belonged to both of us. I also learned that I was a geriatric mother-to-be, new term for me. I definitely did not feel geriatric, but things had changed dramatically Um in the obstetrics world, since I last had a child some 20 years earlier, I went from a natural childbirth experience to a cesarean birth. I was so anxious and nervous um, while they were getting ready to cut on me, so to speak, and uh, literally cut on me, that the doctor told everyone to be quiet in the room. So the nurses, everyone had to be quiet. And then she prayed for us, and she prayed for the birth of Alonso, which I just, that was amazing. After that, of course, uh, Alonso was delivered successfully. Amen to that. Our sweet son Alonso came into this world with parents who tried to be intentional since we had dedicated our lives to Jesus long after we had become first-time parents. I wanted Alonso to grow up knowing the Bible in our home from his parents directly. Not in school, as I went to many religious schools, or church, as I has learned. We had many Bible studies with him immediately. We had weekly devotional for boys starting at age three. I did not want him to learn the stories of the Bible. I wanted him to know the events of the Bible. Stories implied that they were made up. Events were factual. We often discussed hard topics from the beginning. We talked about uh, being a disciple does not necessarily make life easy, and in many cases, it's harder. We talked about what the scientific world said, what society believes versus what we believed. We often asked his opinion during these talks, and we wanted his thoughts and inputs. I was a strict enforcer that Christmas was not about Santa Claus, and if any of your kids have had me in Kid's Kingdom. In December, we always have a birthday party for Jesus, hats and cake and all. When Alonzo was near 10 or 11 years old, our church was teaching a rock ministry class about how to raise a modern knight. A class about how to raise your son to be a man. Our own Mark Shaw taught this class and David attended I picked up the book after the class and fell in love with the concepts. I did not attend class, but I did go through it afterwards. We were going to try to do this for our son. His 12th year of life was planned out with a focused Jackson curriculum. Research was done on how many cultures consider a 13 year old to be a man and how these young men were set up into a path which was symbolized and guided them into responsibility. We wanted this for Alonzo. We wanted a rite of passage for our son. This was also an African tradition. Alonzo needed that connection as a young black male. We divided his year into three sections, his past, learning his history, his future, knowing how to guide his spiritual future, and his responsibility, learning his daily life and his financial responsibilities. Since my great grandfather was from Louisiana, and he was a freed slave, I planned a trip to Louisiana where we learned about slavery from the slave's perspective, not the slave owner's perspective. We visited the Whitney Plantation and that changed all of our lives. We learned of the rich culture of the Louisiana Indians who helped the blacks during slavery. I'm sure many of you have seen the Mardi Gras Indians that come alive on every Fat Tuesday. Secondly, He spent a weekend with his father and other, and another dad and several of his young friends talking about what it means to explore the option of purity as a young man. David used the curriculum passport to purity. He gave uh, purity options instead of our society's choice that gives boys a green light to have premarital sex. Yes, we had many talks about purity with our son. His third and final objective was to take financial classes to learn about investing stocks, loans, home ownership, and credit. And finally, when he turned 13, we had a bro mitzvah for Alonzo. He had a manhood ceremony at the California African American Museum. David communicated with all the guests what our plan was, and Alonzo spoke about what he had learned over the year and recited biblical scripture. All of the male guests 13 years and older greeted Alonzo with a handshake and welcomed him over into the threshold of manhood. Many of you here today or online helped us with that event and I thank you so much. It was, it was overwhelming. We had many conversations about him becoming a disciple and always pointing out our many flaws And sins to Alonzo. And if you're a parent, that's not an easy thing. We asked for lots of forgiveness. We wanted this to be his decision. And then we waited. And we waited. He studied with many people for over four years. We prayed and we waited some more. Around Alonzo's junior year in high school, he started making statements like, it's not if I'm getting baptized, it's just when I'm getting baptized. Well, God was faithful, He heard our prayers and knew our thoughts. Alonzo was true to His word and He announced to us that He was getting baptized before Christmas. We are forever grateful.
1: Thank you. <laughs> well, most of you know my wife, and when she gets a hold of an idea, she's, she's just not going to talk about it. She's, she's going to accomplish it. So I have to give her 99% of the credit uh, for coming up with these, uh, these ideas after uh, looking at the book. And uh, she did a, did a great job. I, I assisted her through this, so I, that's okay. Okay. And I'd just like to say that, you know, on the subject of gift, that even though she says she arranged our wedding a day after my birthday to remember, I consider her my gift. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know if we sing this song. I'm, I'm, I'm a, some lyrics from a song I can't sing, so I'm just going to speak them. But it's the song that most of us knew from childhood. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. We are weak, but God is strong. We want to be perfect parents, but we are weak. We want to be a perfect couple, but we are weak. We want to be perfect disciples. But we are weak. I am weak. We are not perfect parents or a perfect couple. Sometimes I believe that Alonso got baptized in spite of us. See, we have arguments. We're not a perfect couple. I've been angry and said things to my wife in the presence of Alonso that I'm ashamed of. I'm weak, but he is strong. Our parenting styles are diverse. Patrice is on point, wants to make sure Alonso gets everything done every time. And I'm more of a, oh, let's see what he does, and maybe it'll be a teaching moment. So we even bump heads, and we've had arguments about what we should do in front of Alonso. We are weak, but he is strong. You know, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about having a thorn in his side, a thorn. Sometimes I feel like uh, I'm sandwiched between two pieces of cactus. I have way more than one thorn. I'm no Paul. He just was worried about one thorn. And we don't know what that thorn is. And maybe that's so we don't focus on it and we can relate and think about our personal thorns. I have many. When Paul prayed to God and asked him to remove that thorn, God replied, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul responds, responds, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Amen. That God is strong. We may not be perfect parents. But he is strong. We may not be a perfect couple. But he is strong. We may not be perfect disciples. But we remain standing in faith. But he is strong. In spite of our weaknesses. Alonzo was able to see through them. And see God. But he is strong. His gift of grace is sufficient. So today we must stand before you and give God all the glory and praise because we are weak and he is strong. Thank you.
0: Okay. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Cool. So we're going to do, let's give up for Patricia and David again. So we're now going to transition into our communion discussion and then we'll come back and then, uh, and then we'll have one of our teams pray for, pray for the communion. So the question for the communion discussion is, is as follows. Do you tend to see God's gift of love more as impractical or as practical? And then two, what do you think would help you gift God's love to others more often? I got a couple of action steps. we will read a scripture and then we'll have the team behind me pray. All right, so this week, a couple of things to help us. With the gift of love, living it out in our day-to-day. One, read, meditate on Jonah 2, verse 8 to 9. Number two, think of one tangible way you can get God's love to another person. Someone someone that you don't know well. Someone maybe that's here you met for the first time. And then lastly, don't just think about it. Do it. Do it without losing the big picture without losing perspective of the big picture. So let's read the scripture and then we'll have this team behind me pray. Jonah 2 verse 8 to 9 says this. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Hey guys, um, I'm Alonzo Jackson. I'm going to be praying real quick for you guys. Dear Father, Thank you for the joy that comes with knowing we are saved by your sacrifice. Help us to be more like you every day and learn from your example. As we take the bread that represents your body and the juice that represents your blood, let us reflect on and be inspired by the message we've heard today. Help us to soften our hearts to your word and to be moved by it. And in the name of your son, Jesus, amen.
1: You've just listened to the Westside Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.